0: Thanks so much, Heather, and great to be with you all. Maybe I'll continue this train here and extend a Super Bowl Sunday welcome to all those that are in person, all those that are watching online as well. And, uh, you know, this is kind of an iconic day for us as Americans as the final two teams of the football playoffs, they come colliding together. And uh, if you didn't know, our Minnesota Vikings are not one of those final two teams. But Kansas City, okay, any Kansas City fans in the house? Any? Okay, we got a few of you, great, some maybe online. How about San Francisco? I know Heather said she's a San Francisco fan. Okay, some. we got more Niners people in here. All righty, that's good. You know, we have some really uh, dear connections in the San Francisco Bay Area. So for the sake of maybe having someone to root for, I'll be a 49ers fan tonight as well. And, uh, you know, I was just reflecting on that, you know, picking who is the team that I'm going to root for for the Super Bowl. And, and it got me thinking, you know, who else or what else am I rooting for in life? Uh, maybe as I say that, I could turn the question to you. Who, who else or what else are you rooting for? Uh, maybe you're rooting for a family member that's looking for a job. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe there's someone you know in your life that's going through a health struggle and you're rooting for them to make it through. Or maybe to kind of widen the aperture a little bit, maybe you're just rooting for our world to finally settle down amidst all the conflict and all the unrest and uncertainty that's happening, or maybe to turn it to faith. Maybe some of you are rooting for someone in your life who maybe walked away from Jesus and you're saying, oh, I just so hope they come back. And maybe I'll turn that on its head again and say, who are the people rooting for you right now? Or maybe for me to turn that to me, who, who are the people rooting for me? And that would be a great feeling to know who those people might be. And, and I want to give you this encouragement that those people are out there. And maybe if you're skeptical or maybe if you feel like, no, no, that, that can't be. People are rooting for me. I, As one of your pastors, I want you to know I'm rooting for you. To be in love like Jesus, to live the life you've always been called to live in Christ. And and the scriptures say this. The scriptures say that the angels of heaven are rooting for you. The scriptures say that the faithful for all of history are cheering us on to love and good deeds. And it just reminds me that if we're going to walk out faith in today's world, I I just think it's going to be better lived out when we hear the encouragement of God's people. And really, when you think about it, that's what we have in our New Testament. It's basically Christians rooting for other Christians, typically in the form of a letter. And so, as many of you know, we're in a series, eight-week series, uh, studying one of those letters. It's the letter called Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul. And he's rooting for this church, and he wants them to come alive in their faith. And so, for every week of this series, we've been titling the message, I Come Alive When... And then we fill in the blank. And if I could title today's message, I would say the passage we're going to look at, Colossians 3, 1 through 11, I come alive when I seek the higher things. And you'll get an idea of why I think that's an appropriate title as we dive deeper into this passage. But uh, remember, for those, for those of you who haven't been with us for review, this letter by Paul, it, it was addressed to a group of Christians that he, he actually never met. Never met them face-to-face, but he has, he's heard reports of how they're doing by the founder of their church. Uh, this is a guy named Epaphras, and Epaphras went to visit Paul when he was in prison. Uh, well, actually, probably more specifically, a house arrest, uh, a, a confinement where he actually could meet with other people. And this particular uh, confinement for Paul lasted about two years, and he was a bit of a prolific writer during this time. So, he wrote this letter to the Colossians while he was on this house arrest, but he also wrote to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, and to a man named Philemon. And all of those letters are in our New Testament. And again, a common theme in these letters is Paul encouraging these new Christians to stay the course. He's rooting for them to be in love like Jesus. Because for Paul, it's always about Jesus. And throughout the beginning part of this letter to Colossians, again, this is just review for us, but Paul says this about Jesus. He says, he's the visible image of the invisible God. He calls him the head of the church. He says this about Jesus. He's the only real thing in the world. And the Colossians needed to hear that. Because they were kind of caught in the middle, as many early Christians were, between other ideas on what it means to actually live this life the way it's supposed to be lived. And so there was one group of people on one side of them, and they were saying, these Christians, you need to stop believing that there's only one God made known in Jesus. That's a silly, that's kind of an offensive proposition. There are infinite number of gods. And each of them need to be paid respect and honor if we're going to actually have favor in our life. And then on the other side of it, there were, Christians were hearing from those that had maybe grown up in Jewish households or settings. And, and they were looking at the Christians and saying, you're following Jesus, who was a Jew, yet you don't seem to have any conviction about practicing Jewish life the way we're all doing it. Like, Why are you not eating kosher meals? Why have you not undergone some needed surgeries in order to be right with God? And so can you imagine kind of being an early Christian in this kind of setting, never feeling like you're doing anything right, always feeling there was another rule or ritual or thing that you needed to follow just to keep your neighbors from turning on you, and imagine the pressure and the confusion that you may have felt in certain settings to be like, yeah, I'll I'll just say a quick prayer to that god. Or oh, we're we're hanging out with that family tonight. <laughs> we're not going to eat this food. Or actually I'm I'm not too hungry. And I just bring that context up to suggest that their plight is maybe not all that different from our own, although with different challenges. I'm sure none of us are getting much pressure to appease certain gods or to avoid eating pork or shellfish, Um, but there's other pressures around us. Maybe it's pressure to underplay or avoid any mention of Jesus or faith in our everyday life. Or maybe some of us, if we swing the pendulum all to the other direction, maybe some of us feel pressure to kind of overdo it. And all we're supposed to do is be with Christian people and go to Christian places and only listen to Christian music or watch Christian movies, right... It's why I believe there's something here for us. Because the pressure-filled environment of the Colossians, it, it compelled Paul to write to them. And he's rooting for them to keep their focus on the main thing. Maybe the main person. Jesus. Because Paul knows that the Colossians are about to fall for a common trap in faith. And that's this. That we become so focused on doing what we're told to do that we actually don't become who we were meant to be. And so, Paul, before we get to Colossians 3, our text for this morning, I just want you to listen to his words in Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. Uh, Paul writes this to to this church. He says, Christ has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as, don't handle that, don't taste that, don't touch that. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. He goes on, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion or pious self-denial or severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires." I mean, that final part just stopped me cold. They provide no help. In other words, all these spiritual people are trying to convince the Colossians that they need to do more. They need more prayers or more rituals or more rules, more, 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 more. And how many of us have found ourselves thinking that that's the secret to be the people we want to be? That's what what it's going to take to be like Jesus. We just need to add more to our lives, more time at church and more rules to follow, and more good works, and more things to avoid. And, and I'm not suggesting that we throw that all out. What I'm suggesting is that if we go through our faith being more focused on a list of things that we need to do or not to, rather than keeping our focus on Jesus, then we probably won't become like Him. We're more likely to become like the people who are peddling to us a list of things that we're supposed to do and not do. And for the Colossians, they were looking more like strict Jewish adherents, or they were looking like loose pagan admirers. And Paul knows if they continue on in that trajectory, they're going to be exhausted in their misapplied devotion. And they're going to trade the grace of God in for the rules of religion, and they're going to trade the truth of God in for the theories of the world. And Paul knows, some of us probably know this too, that is not life in Christ. That's not going to help them. It's not going to help any of us actually conquer our tendencies to go toward the things that we know we should avoid. That's not going to be enough to actually turn us around to be in love like Jesus. So Paul says these words to the Colossian church. This is our text for the morning. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a longer passage, so rather than having it on the screen here, I'm just going to read it to you. And I invite you to maybe transport yourself back to be in a first century Christian, living in this tension of all these rules you're supposed to follow and hear what Paul says. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul writes, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And He lives in all of us. You know, it could be very easy to um, see that passage that I just read as maybe just another example of a long list of do's and don'ts. But if we look closely at Paul's approach I hope you catch something just really profound about his invitations to the Colossians, and that is right at the top of verse 1. Paul writes, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Uh, Some translations say, uh, set your mind on things above, or as is our message title today, seek the higher things. Uh, In other words, Paul is reminding these early Christians that if their focus is on the realities of heaven, on Jesus... That's when they're going to find the strength and the hope and the vision to actually become like him rather than maybe just pretend to be like him. Because look at what Paul says later in, in, the, in this passage in verse 10. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Because when, when Jesus is our focus rather than our lists of do's and don'ts, then, then we actually realize where we're off the mark. We, we realize where we might be acting more like strict uh, uh, religious adherents or loose admirers of religion. And, and a pretty sobering list of things can lurk within us when we're primarily focused on just managing our outward appearance. Be, because our lists, they never actually expose the source of our actions. Uh, l- look again at verse 5. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, And and then he goes on to list all of these things. Sexual impurity, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, the list goes on and on. And and this image of sinful things lurking within us, I mean, it's kind of an arresting picture. And and this picture highlights what may be a, a real and raw dimension for many of us in our journey in faith, and that is that we're all trying to become better versions of ourselves. Uh, Most of us probably have that as a goal or something that we're trying to pursue and we just get self-sabotaged by our own efforts. And it begs the question, can can we really save ourselves? Being saved or, or salvation, it's a term we use oftentimes in Christian vernacular. And uh, it really is a deep and rich dimension of our theology, of Christian theology. And, and you may have heard this before, right? If, you, if you've been in church or Christian settings, you may have heard things like, hey, are you saved? Or are, are they saved? Or sometimes, are they still saved? You know, we, we say that language all the time, and what we're trying to talk about is salvation. We're, we're trying to wrap our mind around how are we finally going to be rid of this sinful nature that we have? How are we going to be right with God? And and for the Colossians, they, they were peppered with ideas on how to do that. And ultimately, here was the common prescription that they had heard. Just follow the rules. Do the do's list, avoid the don'ts list, and everything will probably work out. That's not the message of Christianity. That's not what it means to be right and to be made right with God. That's not what Christian salvation is. Christian salvation is saying yes to Jesus. What he did for us on that rugged cross, he died for our sin, for our inability to get it right every time. And when we say yes to what Jesus did for us, we're saved from the penalty of our sins. We're saved from being eternally without God. But what I want to offer is salvation, I think, has broader dimensions to it too. And what I just described may be more accurately understood as the first phase of salvation, What what theologians would call justification. And so to maybe take us to school, a quick Theology 101, uh, I put this little grid together here. And what I want to try to show you or what I want to try to capture is the full journey of the ark of salvation. And the first phase is what we just reviewed, justification. That I am saved from the penalty of sin. What Jesus has done for me in the past is applied to my life. And I get to walk with him. But that's just the beginning. Because if you look at the second line, we are also being saved. There's a process to our salvation. It's what theologians called our sanctification. Uh, This is becoming like Christ. When we say at Westwood that our way of life is to be in love like Jesus, this is what we're talking about. We have this opportunity every single day of our life to live our real life, which is in Christ rather than live our old life, which is lurking within us. So we're, we're on this sanctification journey in the present, but the fullness of our salvation is in the future. We will be saved from all presence of sin in our life, what we call here glorification. In fact, uh, look at Back at Colossians 3, 4, let's, let's look at what Paul writes. He says, and when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So it's only when Christ returns that we enter into the, the fullness of our salvation in him. Uh, Many of you know this, we've shared this with the church family, that we uh, recently bought a house in the Chanhassen area, so we are thrilled to be part of this West Metro community. And uh, what that also means for us is we're in the process of selling our current home. And that means I make a lot of random trips to home improvement stores scattered all across the Twin Cities. And so a couple of weeks ago, I had to go to Menards to uh, get uh, some paint that's in our bedroom. It's the trim paint because I had to touch up a few things. And being, being an ambitious dad, I decided to bring two of my middle children, Tate and Ivy, with me. And I don't know if you've been to a Menards recently, but uh, this is one of those Menards that's two stories tall. Okay, so it's got a second floor. And in the middle of the store is, a, is like an escalator-powered ramp that takes you from one floor to the next. And unsurprisingly, my kids were enamored with this escalator. Mind you, there was nothing up there that I needed, but uh, I just came for a gallon of paint, but lo and behold, that's where we spent a lot of our time. And, you know, as kids tend to do, there's, there's always a game to be played, and one of the games was how quickly could they walk up, you know, with the power of that escalator, but a little mischievous also, how could they walk off from, could they walk against the power of the escalator and try to get back to where they started? And I'm watching them, you know, have some fun. And I thought, and again, pastors tend to do this. But I thought, this really is a picture of our salvation in Christ. <laughs> no, go, no, go with me. Go with me here. Okay, so let, let me bring this grid back up here, okay? Because salvation is this heavenward journey, right, to be, in, be in, uh, with God. Then it's kind of like riding a spiritual escalator. The final destination being that beautiful hope of glorification, which apparently is on the second floor of Menards. (laughs) But, But that we will be saved from all presence of sin in our lives. And we're going to commune with God in perfect harmony. And the moment that we step onto that escalator is when we receive the grace of God. We are justified by faith in Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of our sin. But remember, this journey is on an escalator. And the reason for that is that this journey is not just our own. God is at work, and His grace is always working on on behalf. It's the power that moves that escalator forward, and the process of sanctification, that's the invitation you and I have every day on what to do on the escalator, because we can either walk with the grace of God into the hope of glory. We, We can maybe stay put, or we can maybe take steps back and we can try to work against his grace in our lives. But God's grace is so good that we actually don't get as far away from him as we sometimes think. You know, that that was apparent to me as I was watching my kids make mischief on that Menards escalator. They they try to outpower it and they realize I didn't get that far. They they stayed in somewhat the same place on where they were in. You know, here's ultimately why I wanted to bring forward this illustration, because I think it's an important visual to see what Paul is trying to say here in Colossians 3. And there was one other observation, another little angle to the story, and that is, unsurprisingly, there were an unsurprising number of onlookers that were watching these kids making mischief. And one of those onlookers was another kid, and he was, he was ahead of us on the escalator. He was about the same age as my kids. And he, he was with his dad, I think, a dad who obviously had not lost complete control. And, 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 but this kid was so drawn into what was happening behind him that he didn't even realize he made it to the top. And, and his dad was kind of jarring his attention back to be like, no, we're, we're going this way. And as I think about that kid's experience, it reminds me about the experience of the Colossians because they, like us, are on this escalator of faith being formed into the image of Christ. And some of them, and maybe if we're honest, some of us, we're on this grace-powered escalator. And instead of looking this way to where we're going, we're riding it this way. And the escalator is going in that direction, but for some reason, our back is to Jesus. And instead of seeking the higher things, instead of setting our sights on the realities of heaven, instead of looking to and being inspired by and being even, uh, drawn even further into Jesus, our eyes are looking down at these ever-increasing lists of things that we're supposed to do, and we're distracted. And maybe we were even tempted by the evil lurking within us. Because when our eyes are downward, we're also more inclined to see the world through the lens of the world. We're inclined to see division and discord. It's why Paul says in verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're in this camp or that camp. All that matters is Christ who lives in us. You know, the context is these Colossians, they were bombarded with a number of different voices on what to do. And Paul is saying to them, I want you to trade in the pressure-filled rules in for a grace-filled ride. And that journey is best experienced when our eyes are on Jesus, when we seek the higher things. And the truth is, we know we're not going to walk this life out perfectly. We're going to get stuck sometimes. But thank God His grace keeps pulling us forward. But if for whatever reason you feel like you're on this journey and you're back is to Jesus, that you're more distracted and more drawn into the life that's behind you, can I invite you to turn around? There's another theological word for that. It's called repentance. just means to turn the other way and look again to Jesus. It's just a much better journey when we're looking to where we're going versus where we used to be. And there's no better place. There's no better person to look to than Jesus. I'm gonna actually invite our worship team to come up. We're gonna sing one more song together. Um, But as I close, I I just want to offer maybe one final encouragement. Maybe it's actually a word of caution about using this visual of like a grace-powered escalator to give us an illustration of what our salvation is in Christ. And and that's this. I, I I don't want you to see our faith journey as us escaping to heaven in the far-off future. Because the prevailing picture that we get of heaven in the Scriptures is that it's actually crashing down onto earth, that, that it's bearing down on us from the future. And so I don't think Paul, nor, nor do I, I, I don't want you to misinterpret this invitation to seek the higher things as an escape hatch to turn our back on the world and just let it decay. In fact, you may have heard this as a criticism of Christians before, that Christians are so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good. And that just pierces my soul. Because if we're just, if we're just about enjoying our ride up to heaven, I, I just don't know if that's what it's meant to be. And I, I don't want to heap any judgment on us as I say that. I, I just think we've got a higher, a higher calling. To represent god to a world that's in desperate need of his grace and so let's be in the mix god invites us on a personal journey to be right with him there's no doubt about that but he also calls his church to be the means by which the world itself is made right and we know that that's not going to fully happen until jesus comes back but in the meantime we can put the future on display We can be a witness to the world that God is on the move, that His grace is sufficient for all. Because as we seek the higher things, as we seek Jesus, that is when we in the world truly come alive. It's kind of like two kids riding an escalator, walking with its power to the destination of where we're going. And if there's anything we could root for today, Super Bowl Sunday, maybe that's what we should root for walk with God, into his grace, into his glory, to be like him. Part of the reason I asked the team to come up here is um, this image of an escalator. I I pray for some of you, it, it could be an encouragement as you think about where you're at in your own faith journey. And if for some reason you feel like you're on this, you're on the escalator, but your back is to Jesus, you can turn around today. You can seek the higher things. And some of you may have gone through this life and you have worked. It, you feel like I've, I've just been working against His grace. And I don't know, maybe I walked off. You can always get back on. And then, I, I don't know, I, you know, when, when we got to this, when we got to the escalator, Tate, who's the older one, ran up as quick as he could. And my daughter, Ivy, she ran just to the edge, and she stopped. And she just, she was scared. But, you know, then then you see others walking, and she finally got the courage, and she stepped on. And I don't know, I don't know how many of you are here regarding faith, and you've gone right up to the edge. And for some reason, you've just never stepped on. Why not today be your day? to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to invite us to stand just to have a moment of reflection. And I'm actually going to invite our prayer teams to come forward now. Maybe some of our staff as well. I'm going to make my way down here. and We're just going to sing this last song after I pray. And some of you may feel so stirred that this is your moment that you may also just want to come forward. Maybe it's you making a physical step to acknowledge a spiritual step. That you're taking your life to either turn around to get back on again maybe someone to get on for the first time to receive God's grace and walk with him and I just pray that some people that are forward here could just be an encouragement to you no pressure no shame no need but we talk about God promptings a lot in our church and some of you may feel stirred to say like you know I I kind of want to mark this moment and I just want to come forward there's going to be thousands, hundreds of thousands of people cheering later this afternoon for a Super Bowl game. The angels of heaven will cheer. The faithful of all of history will cheer. Some of you might even start clapping. I don't know. You may know someone who walks, who walks up here. You walk up with them. Show them that life is best lived when we have encouragement from other people. And may God do something in you and for you and through you today as you be in love like him. So Lord, we just open our hands and we give you space to speak to us. I don't know where some of us are at as we consider where we're at on this journey of faith, right in a spiritual escalator. Some of us need to turn around. Some of us need to know we can get back on. And some of us may just need to realize that today could be our day to step on for the first time and experience grace like we've never experienced it before. And so, God, as we seek the higher things as a church, may our song and our worship give you honor, glory, and praise. If there's anything we need to cheer for, it's what you've done for us. It's so good. You don't let us get so far away, even in our misapplied devotion sometimes. But, God, you can do something right now in us, for us, and through us. And I pray, God, for courage to stir up here for anyone that may feel that this is their day to repent, to get back on. to say yes for the first time. May you embrace them with open arms as you did for me and as you did for so many others. What a day to have something to root for, Super Bowl Sunday. Let's root for Jesus and people coming to him in his name. Amen.